Hello and welcome to the WIP Comics Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Stone. WIP stands for Work in Progress, and here I talk to various comic creators about their work to try and get some insight into their creative process. For this episode, I had a chat with Matthew Dooley, who just released his debut graphic novel, Flake, back in April this year. Since then, it has become the first ever graphic novel to win the Bollinger Everyman Woodhouse Prize, and has generally been critically acclaimed across the board. We talked about his path to getting published, using comics to their fullest, and making the medium go mainstream. Hey Joe, how you doing? Not my bad. How's, uh, how's your day been? Um, it's one of those weird kind of nothingy days where I'm not working this week. Uh, I've got some time off and I feel like I've done absolutely nothing, which is kind of nice, yeah. but also sort of, I feel a bit depressing. I feel like I should have achieved something, you know? Uh, you need you need those days, I think, as well as the, the busy days, don't you? Yeah, a little bit of balance. A little bit of balance is good. How was your day been? You done anything fun today? Uh, not especially. I'm I'm still working. Yeah, of course. So uh, for the government, Parliament, you know, for Parliament. Yeah, not Parliament. the government. Uh, <laughs> Fair. Uh, I mean, I would quite like to do an hour podcast, just to, just just repeating over and over the difference between Parliament and government. Well, that, that was the main topic I wanted yeah, to cover today. Yeah. I was I was hoping that's what it was going to be. No, it's been it's fine. Um, uh, not not crazily busy. Not as busy as it has been, though. I suspect that will start to, to pick up again as things are changing. Things are changing. Changes afoot. So yeah, to begin, my first question is, what are you working on at the minute? I am currently working on something for an anthology, which is coming out hopefully next mm. year. Probably shouldn't say too much why I don't think they've announced this, but it's not a comics anthology. It's a, it's a bit more broader. It, I think mine's the only comic in it. So the rest mm. of it is sort of um, more like straight prose and there's some illustration, I think. Like so, yeah, illustrative work, but... Yeah, it should be quite interesting. So I'm at the I'm at the the thinking stage. Mm, important and my, stage. My 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 writing sort of style process anyway is I just like to go for long walks and not write anything down for ages because I tell you as soon as I write it down, then that's sort of the I find it difficult to change stuff. So I, yeah, I take a I take a long time before I actually commit anything to paper at all. So I've been going on lots of long walks to sort of let an idea sort of unfold. And it's, yeah, it's nearly, nearly there. I'm almost at the point where I'm going to start writing things down. The first word will be written. Yeah. yeah. I have quite a similar process, I think, of uh, I do tend to just conceptualise for a very long time before I've even started thinking about like what characters might look like or anything and then just think about it and until I've kind of got a really firm idea of how I want it to to sound or look or anything and then and then I actually start making it. But yeah, right at the beginning of the process, there's, when I say quite a long time, normally... I think the longest amount of time has probably been like two and a half years. Uh, the shortest, like six months. So. <laughs> I, I mean, actually, the the way it looks, sort of anyway, in terms of drawing character stuff, I think is probably the last thing that I do. I think that the sort of feel and the tone, and that's the for me the most important thing. So the character, I mean, characters aren't an afterthought or the, what the character looks like. That's that that's not true. But it's I think it's the it's the last thing I come to. And mm. almost like that having thought about it so much, by the time you get to do that, it's sort of fairly obvious yeah. what the characters are going to look like. Even if you haven't literally imagined them, they already live in this place that you've invented yeah. and certain things. So by that point, yeah, they should 
come out in some sort of appropriate manner. So yeah, that's how I tend to do it. Makes a lot of sense. So just going back a little bit to your kind of starting out with comics in general, how did you kind of get into it in the first place? Like what, what was your first step on your comic making journey? I came to it in quite a convoluted way, really. I read comics as a kid, sort of like Asterix and 2000 AD, like many people did. Then didn't really read comics very much as in, in sort of towards my late teens, and I, I didn't draw at all. And then in my early 20s, I thought it would be a good idea to try and become a gag cartoonist. Um, I thought, yeah, that's that's the way to make, you know, squillions of pounds. But it's actually really hard to do gag cartoons, at least good ones. A friend of my dad's, someone he grew up with, is a gag cartoonist, like a pretty successful one called, he's called Fran Orford. And um, I remember chatting to him about it and he said, if you're making gag cartoons, you make loads of them and you send them out to as many people as possible and then you forget about them. And I'm not emotionally robust enough to do that. <laughs> like every, every one I did, it was like, I, I thought of it was like this beautiful, beautiful little flower that I'm sort of unfurling and sending off to find its rightful home. So um, yeah, it wasn't for me. And also you've got to write a lot of jokes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's only jokes. And I think whilst I then started picking up comics again, so I uh, started reading, I'm sure this is a fairly well-worn path, some North American stuff like Seth and Klaus and Chris Ware and yeah. Joe Matt. And there's a issue of Mick Sweeney's, which had loads of sort of comic stuff. It must be about 2003, 2004. And that really piqued my interest when I picked that up a couple of years later. And then, yeah, I started thinking about drawing comics. I thought about drawing them for a lot longer than <laughs> for a long time before I actually drew any comics. The figures was part of your process, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was like, I know, I felt like I was a potential cartoonist a lot longer than I was actually a cartoonist. So the first time I ever did what you would call, you know, like comic strips, whole page comics, it was for the Jonathan Cape Prize, the Observer Cape Prize. And that must have been, ooh, 2000 and... 12 so that was the first time I ever drew a comic mm-hmm. I was in you know, four pages and that the first page I remember it seemed like climbing Everest drawing that first page like it seemed so took so long and almost unfathomable how anybody could draw something which would be like 40 50 pages long let alone 200 or 300 pages yeah. I feel that way still now after having drawn many pages of comics yeah it's ridiculous. I mean, it's a really stupid way of telling a story. It's so, it's so inefficient. Um, but yeah, so I did this four-page comic, sent it off to this competition and didn't win, didn't hear anything back. And then I don't think I basically did any comics until the following year for the same competition again. Entered it, nothing came of it. And then in that middle intervening year, I started doing a few more here and there. And then I got my first sort of page of comic in an actual thing or in print in Dirty Rotten Comics. Oh, yes. Which much missed, sadly. Much, much missed. Yeah. I wish it was around right now. Yeah. I know it's, um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pity that Gary and Kirk don't do it anymore. But mm, yes. And then at about the same time, I yeah entered the Cape Prize again. So this is 2014. And I didn't win, but after the winner was announced, I was told... I got down to like the last eight. So it was like the final shortlist. So I thought, okay, I'm on to something here. 
it's probably worth persevering a bit. And then by the time the next one came round, I was drawing a lot more. And I put out a book called Meanderings. It was like my first sort of like 32-page collection of sort of shorts, stuff that had been in Dirty Rotten Comics and uh, different remember Off-Life, um, yeah. which again, sadly missed. Yeah, it is, again. And then the same thing happened the following year. I got shortlisted again, didn't win it. But, but okay, so we're definitely worth carrying on. And then the, final, the following year, 2016, I won the Cape Prize. And that meant that, I guess... I had a sort of window of opportunity to try and take advantage of that mm. and try and yeah get a some sort of book deal. As in, like about I think uh, half of the people who'd won it in the previous ten years had gone on to do you know relatively significant stuff. So people like Isabel Greenberg and Stephen Collins yep. and a few other people. Joff went to heart. Is that what you say? If he'd not won it, he'd certainly been shortlisted. So yeah, people had obviously uh, who'd been involved in it had done pretty well out of it. So. In, I was then approached by an agent, so a literary agent, after winning it, and then they helped me sort of pitch an idea. And I think that's probably quite a, a thing. I don't think a lot of people can, in comics would even would even consider when they're starting out that that yeah. might be one of the things you'd have to do is get, you know getting like a literary agent or something. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not it's not really a thing in comics as much. I think I think there was a company you launched maybe late last year who were doing uh, like particularly for the comics comics market um trying to get agents to be able to help them get deals but before that one i don't i didn't know of any companies that like particularly works with with like the comics medium no and i mean i think it depends on on the publisher i believe some publishers some comics publishers ones that deal exclusively with with comics don't particularly like dealing with agents yeah so that's what i understand anyway but because because i ended up going with jonathan cape who are part of sort of a, a bigger organization and don't primarily deal in graphic novels they tend to do sort of poetry and literary fiction mm. uh, i think that that's that's a much more comfortable sort of thing for them and it's more expected that that's how, sort of how you would go about it but yeah that's, that is one way and i think that does help having someone else to be able to bounce ideas off as well mm, of course and also to make sure you're not being uh, screwed over when you sign sign something because I mean ultimately that's what agents are there for to make sure you know they yeah. they're like a sort of gatekeeper I guess in that having an agent is like a foot in the door to some publishers like it's uh, they act like as a filter of the stuff that gets to people who commission stuff but also they're there to make sure that you uh, you get a sort of fair deal yeah when it comes down to it so. yeah I mean I think obviously I'm sure you've heard the news uh, in recent months about certain people may be kind of taking advantage of some of those deals and contracts, things like that, to try to get, get people when they're extremely young and not very experienced and definitely without an agent. So yeah, piece of advice. yeah. it's also a difficult thing to, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know where to look to try to find an agent or if it's a case of an agent reaching out to me, like was in yeah. your case. So if you were looking for an agent and to be honest for comics, I'm not sure because I'm only speaking from my experience and lots of people don't have them. If you, if you do want an agent, I think the best way to go about it would be to find someone you like or you think your work is akin to and you sort of respect. Find if they have an agent and approach their agent, someone like that, their agency. Because, I mean, most agents, they belong to a, a, a like a larger agency, I, I think. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's how I, I, I do quite like the work of Matthew Dooley. I wonder if I could find out 
his agent is, reach out. Yeah, well, it's uh, my agent is, is Sam Sam Copeland. Is my agent. He's also Stephen Collins' agent. Yeah, cool. So yeah, that's uh, that's that's one sort of tip. But I don't think it's it's necessary. I don't think it's and say if you were trying to get some a piece of like prose, if you're trying to get a novel published. I think it's far more necessary. But I don't think it is as necessary in comics. Hmm. Maybe that'll be something that changes. But yeah, that's only one avenue. Also, I think. I mean, this might sound a bit glib, but trying to win the Jonathan Cape Prize would be a my advice. It's a great, it's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I I entered it in uh, two thousand eighteen or two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen, and yeah, I just didn't hear anything back in the slightest. And I, I didn't give up on making comics, obviously, mm. but I did think that um, I don't know if I'm quite the right fit for something like that. But I guess it's, it's that's a, a bad way a bad way to think about things. So, I the stuff I did for it. I've done with winning it in mind, if you know what yeah. I mean. Like, I, it yeah. wasn't just here's a comic I've done. I wrote stuff thinking, trying to anticipate the sort of thing they would like. Having said that, they do have different judges every year. Yeah, they'll have a couple of the same people, but they'll have a guest judge. They've had and like people have written on the thick of it for uh, Sebastian folks, for mm-hmm. instance, was judge one year. But yeah, I think trying to trying to guess the sort of thing, trying to second guess what they might actually be looking for. Probably does help as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a good, a good idea of to, to, to try and cater towards your audience. In, in this case, the, the panel of judges. Obviously, yeah. that is the audience that you want to impress. You want them to like your work. So it's a definitely a really good idea to kind of work out who it is who's going to be looking at it and think about the sort of things that they like. I mean, that is just, I think, a great sort of tip anyway. If you were just sending unsolicited stuff to a publisher... I mean, the surest fire way of making sure that they you you don't get it published would be to send something completely inappropriate mm. for that publisher. If you send, you know, the greatest superhero comic in the world to, I don't know, Crawling Quarterly, chances are they're probably going to say that's not probably for us. Yeah. So yeah, I think you you, you you've got to try and find who your fit is. You know. So um, yeah, go with yeah. Be sensible. Take it seriously. Like if you're going to send stuff. I mean, in your case, obviously, Jonathan Cape made a lot of sense because they were the, the co-organisers of the competition that you won. Yeah. Right? So they were yeah. perfect people. They'd already seen your work, I assume. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that obviously made it a far easier thing to do. Having said that, I mean, there are, there are other publishers, I think, around at the moment in the UK who maybe not published similar stuff, but I would have been equally happy to have approached. Mm. So, of course. Like uh, Faber do sort of graphic novels as well. And, you know, people like Avery Hill, you make amazing stuff and have had some, put some incredible stuff out. Absolutely do, yeah. And they've got some things out this year as well, which look fantastic. I'm very yeah. excited about their, uh, their release schedule this year. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and there's plenty of options in, in the UK. But also, at the same time, I think with comics, it's almost less important to get published by a publisher. You know? Yeah. I don't know if you would agree with this, but... I would never, I would never buy a novel which was self-published. I feel I'd, unless someone had really, really heartily recommended it to me, I just I would never do it just off spec. Partly because like the quality control, it's just so difficult to tell. You know, yeah. I can't just I can't look at a, I can't look at a book and tell if it's I like it or not. But at least with comics, you can look at I can look at, at, at something and think, okay, there's a reasonable chance I'm going to like this, even if it's just because. It looks beautiful. Yeah. Um, so I'm far more likely to buy a self-published comic than I would do something else. 
like a novel. Yeah. No, I don't think I would ever buy a just a novel that someone just wrote that came up came up to me and was like, "I've written this book. Would you want to buy it?" No, it's, I mean it's also it's a it's a much bigger um, time investment. Yeah, About like a, a twelve hours reading a, a novel, which might be terrible. I mean, I, I can't. I've, I've I've never read any self published novels. Something I, I can't say. <laughs> I have. I used to work in a, in, a, in a comic book shop, and um, a customer came in once, and he basically he'd written like a science fiction novel, and he self published it, and he wanted us to stock it. And we said we don't really stock novels or any sort of books. We just we just, we just stock comics for a comic book shop. And he said, "Well, I'll leave it with you." For like a week I'll come back and collect it in a week And so just give it a read Give it some thought And maybe you'll change your mind And I said You know It's not up to me I'm not the manager But sure I'll hold on to it for you And uh, It wasn't a good book um, This is the most polite way I can talk about it um, And I don't like to I don't like to mock people But And absolutely Like good for him In terms of Taking the chance of Believing in his own work To to go through the the cost of manufacturing a bunch of them and then going to shops to take it. And it, it, it's, it's one of those bizarre things because with comics happens all the time. That's the, the only way to really get in front of an audience is, mm-hmm. is to go up to shops and say, can you, can you take a few copies of my book, please? It's difficult. Yeah. I don't, like I say, I don't want to mock him, but um, I don't think he would have had much chance of getting released by a publisher if he'd ever actually approached them. It was that kind of level of quality, unfortunately. But To be, to, to give that person their due, I suppose, like if they, had gone through a publisher and say had been picked up, there would have been an editor and there would yeah. have been people to say, Oh, I think you should change this or etc. So I think, yeah, the, the chances of someone, I think self-publishing a, a perfect, beautiful, wonderful thing in just prose and it coming out of nowhere is different. I mean, I, like I say, I think it's amazing that he, he wrote an entire novel. Cause I think that's also uh, the, the process of writing a novel is a huge undertaking. Yeah, uh, it, was an, it wasn't a small book. Like I said, I, I didn't think it was necessarily uh, to my liking, but it was a, it was a big like novel. It wasn't just like a kind of a handful of pages. It's a little pamphlet mm. thing. It was a proper big thing. Um, yeah, I I wish him the best of luck wherever he is. I don't. I won't name him, but um, I hope that, that he's doing was well. Dan Brown. <laughs> yeah, it was the Da Vinci something. He was. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, all. Yeah. One of the things I think is probably like just the different approach of with comics is almost the expected route. Like yeah. you're you're supposed to to release your own stuff first. You're supposed to make like something small and get it out there so people are aware of you, and then you kind of start putting up an audience and, and a name for yourself. But with with novels, then I think it's it's the opposite of your your the the way you're getting made to get into it. I guess also because the market's so much larger, is hmm. you're supposed to approach a publisher or an agent and go through the like official channels. I think to be able to to start to make a name for yourself. I mean, there might might well be a whole scene of people who write books um, that I just don't know about. Oh yes, I mean, I'm uh, yeah, complete ignorance. How I have absolutely no idea at all. But I think yeah, comics absolutely. You're, I'd agree with you. Expected, almost expected to um, yeah, self-publish your stuff before you you get anywhere. Also, I think comics re- require a lot of practice. Yeah, unless does any. Any art form, you know, it does require a lot of practice, but I, I think comics it requires you to sort of, uh, you learn a lot as you do them. I mean, doing Flake, I think I was a much better cartoonist at the end of it than I was at the beginning of it. Mm. Um, I think I learned a lot about just how to put together pages. I mean, I think my, my drawing got better as well, but I think uh, if I was to do, to do another one, I think I'd do it better. I also think I'd do it quicker. Yes, it was. It's a slog, and I don't think I was. I was not under 
any misapprehension that that's what it would be like yeah. to, to do it. I mean, it's a, it's a long haul. I wouldn't want to say it was tedious, but a lot of it is it's just drawing. Yeah. I mean, I think that some parts of the comic making process definitely are quite tedious. And like I, I find in, I guess also with like your work and my work, we tend to do things that are more kind of based, not, not in like the mundane per se, but in a extremely kind of grounded version of, of the world. So the, a lot of the things that I end up drawing are people sitting in chairs. Um, oh, yeah looking out windows, sitting in cars, not really doing anything because that's the kind of stories I want to tell. And I think, you know, I'm happy with the stories I'm telling, but I don't think that from a creation process, that doing a drawing of someone sitting on a couch isn't the most thrilling thing to be working on, especially when it's like a nine panel grid and I've done the same drawing nine times, but just their facial expression changes slightly from panel to panel. Oh, I mean... That'd be quite a tedious thing. My, my general approach, my general style is people sat down looking sad. Mm, yeah, same. You know, that's that's what I like. That's my that's my that's my um, my comfort zone. That's yeah. That's where I I feel comfortable is doing. People are just a little bit melancholy, and I've mm. it's not terrible, but it's a little bit rubbish. Yeah, and I think I think you and me have a very similar approach as well to that that kind of the balance of the the the, the funny and the sad. Mm. Making things because there's, I think there is, there's like a gentle a joy sometimes in like the melancholy aspects of things that also then when something funny happens, it kind of it accentuates that so much more as well. Which I, I often t- find it difficult to tell the difference between what is sad and what's funny, and I don't think they're they're necessarily mutually exclusive either. I think mm-hmm. they often bleed into each other quite quite a lot. So yeah, I, that, and that's certainly what i i went for with with flake it's meant to it's meant to be silly but be a little bit mournful Hmm. at the same time Um, it definitely comes across yeah yeah so and and that's i think true of my sort of small press stuff it would be again it's it's trying to find that that weird space between boring and weird um, <laughs> but I think it pays off, and I think yeah. As much as the the creation of it can be quite a tedious thing, I think that I almost I like the the fact that when someone reads it at the end of it and they get like a nine panel grid that's just the same picture nine times with little tweaks in the thing, and actually being able to see that the minute changes between things and the expressions altering, I think is really satisfying. Whenever I read that kind of thing in someone else's comics, then I I also find that very satisfying to look at. See, it's a it's a funny thing, isn't it? Like the joy. And there is, you know, comics, whilst it is quite a laborious process, there are moments of elation and joy throughout it. Absolutely, yeah. um, Certainly at the beginning, when you've got an, an idea you like. I think that's that, for me, is the, the bit which is like the, both the sort of the sweetest and most saddest moment. I think, oh, I've got an idea I really like. Now I've got this huge amount of drawing to do before I can, <laughs> I can finish before it. Before it's actually done and you can look at it. Yeah. yeah. And... I don't want to make it sound like I, I hate drawing because, I mean, I don't think you could do it if you did. No, exactly. It's the sort of thing I joke about, but I think I prefer having drawn, if not to <laughs> Like a, a full day's drawing and then you've done exactly what you wanted to do and you're like, yeah, that, that was, that's time well spent. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a very satisfying feeling to have, even if it's like a page of comics completely done and look at it and be like, hmm, yeah, it feels good. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the sense of, say, doing a long thing, of watching the pages stack up is, yeah, that's really uh, edifying. Mm. And, that, and that, that feeling of getting towards the end of it was, was really quite fantastic. 
of seeing all of that. I mean, it's never done. That's the thing. It's never done until that moment which they say, you actually can't change it now. Um, so all of those mistakes that you think you've made, uh, it's gone to the printers now. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. I, I did notice a typo. Uh... Oh, did you really? Did you really? Is that true? Uh, yeah. I know that the sentence where like a, a word is missing. I feel like I shouldn't have told you that. Oh, no. Oh, really? Gosh. Although, I, mean, I also, I might just be bad at reading. And I've forgotten what it is or where it is in the book. This is true. Okay. So I was, I, I knew there would be, there's definitely going to be mistakes in it because there, it seems just never to possible to, yeah. There's always a mistake in there's always So a mistake. I read it, I don't know how many times. Obviously, whilst I'm doing it, I make lots of mistakes. Then it went to my editor at the publisher. They read it and they read it many times, coming back going, oh, I've noticed another thing. You need to change this. It turns out I'm terrible, very sloppy when it comes to spelling. And things. Yeah. It then went to a professional proofreader who read through it several times, came back more things and so on and so on. So this long, long process of getting rid of all these mistakes. And yet it's inevitable there will be something in it like like that. Yeah. And yeah, sort of shrug your shoulders and think. If you gave it to a proofreader, that's that's on them, man. That's not that's like you. <laughs> that's why I always tell myself, I, I do this thing a lot at work at my job, then I, I have to put text into a layout in a piece of graphic design of some kind. And occasionally I have to type it in myself or whatever. And then uh, it turns out there's a spelling mistake on it. <laughs> I might have typed it, but I, I didn't. It's not my decision to say, yes, this is finished. It's up to the... Creative director, or whatever, in my case, or the, the editor, in your case. Uh, it's good, yeah. As I think, mistakes are inevitable. In the sense, I mean, I remember this has always stuck with me, and it's a slightly different thing. In the Asterix books, on one of the first pages, they have the, a list of characters, and they have, you know, vital statistics, and they have mm. fully automatics, and they have cacophonics, the bard. And in some of the books, the drawing of Cacophonics, he's wearing a, a white and blue checked top, and they just have forgotten to do a couple of the blue checks under his arm. And I don't think it's deliberate. I think it's a mistake. Mm-hmm. And it's been printed millions of times. <laughs> and I don't think it's ever been changed, as far as I can tell. Yeah. I remember seeing that as a kid thinking, wow, has no one has no mentioned this mistake that they appear to have made? But, I mean, maybe I'm misremembering that, but... Um, I mean, it's, I think it's one of the things, once it's gone to print, you can't change it. And you're like, oh, well, it's happened now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's nice to have a little mistake. I, I got started in a comic of mine, an autobiographical comic, Stutter. I drew myself on one page with six fingers on one hand, which I absolutely never noticed. Uh, and I, I, I've looked at that book, obviously, I drew it firstly, but even after drawing it, I've read through it like many, many times trying to spot any mistake. And yeah, just completely overlooked the fact that I give myself an additional thumb. Well, this is true. When... Flake came back from the printers with the first copies. And, you know, by that point, they've all been printed. I went to, to their office to pick a couple of copies up. And I, I'll be honest, I've not read it since. Because it's very good. You definitely read it. I, uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I, I, I just, the, the prospect of finding stuff I don't want to find was too horrible. That I, yeah. So I, I've, I've not really looked at it since. Well, let's pretend I didn't see a typo. Uh, yeah. It was all a joke. And I'll have a just to make you feel better. All right. I, say, um, <laughs> I mean, like I say, I might have just completely misread it. Well, we'll see. As I say, now now it's out. And uh, I sort of shrug my shoulders now, I suppose. Um, when I next see you in person, if it is, I'll, I'll ask you to, to alter the typo on, on my, my copy of it. If you can just uh, cross Good it out. Then that'd be perfect. So, yeah, so going back a little bit to 
signing the deal with Jonathan Cape to release a graphic novel, which I assume the one that you pitched to them was Flake, right? Yes. Yeah. The pitching process, yeah, how did that go? Like, how much of the idea that you have like fully formed when you pitched it versus how much of it came after you started working with them? Uh, so the process essentially was this. They wanted a story outline, about one side of A4, and they wanted about 10 pages of finished artwork. So they wanted to know what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, sort of the tone, and how the how it's going to start and how it's going to finish, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So that was been in 2017. And I, funnily enough, the other day I actually found the piece of paper with the, the pitch on it. And I was reading it. And it is, yeah, it's, it is actually very, very similar to what came out at the end. Whilst there was a couple of things that are slightly different, yeah, it was pretty much the story which I pitched to them. And so, yeah, I hadn't started. I didn't have. I didn't have any more than that when I pitched it to them. So I didn't have a script. That that was literally all I had. And they were very trusting. They liked it. They said, "Great, get on with it." And they were sort of of mind with. I I think anyway, we're sort of taking a punt, but we sort of trust you to 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 get on with it. We'll be here if you want any help. It's meaning really that having. Done, I don't know, I'd done about maybe 40 pages. I then sent that, having you know written a, a, a sort of script of sorts and started drawing it and having planned it all out, I sent the first 40 finished pages to them and they were like, great, carry on. Nice. Yeah, so the, their input during the, ma- the vast majority of it was, I don't want to say minimal because I don't... I, I don't want to cast in a bad light, but they yeah, were very happy for me to, to, to do my own thing. Now, I don't think that's, to say, typical, I don't know, but I think there'll be other places, other publishers who would be very different, who would want to see mm. much more, who would want to see your all your roughs, who'd want to see a script, but they were like, yeah, just get on with it. So yeah, I think it depends. And having said that, I think if I, they would have been quite happy to look at all those things. I could have sent those things to them. And they would have given me pointers if they wanted yeah. to, to change things. And when it came to it, when the final-ish thing I handed into them in January of last year, there was a couple of things, pretty minor things. I added in, I think I added four pages in, in total, to just to clarify a couple of points and just to, yeah, well, essentially to that, to make sure that a couple of plot points were just a bit clearer. And that was it. Nice. So, so it was quite like a, a smooth sailing process. I mean, I had about 15 meltdowns. <laughs> I mean, the, the amount of times that, you know, shouting and screaming about what on earth am I doing? Why, am I, why have I done this? This is a terrible idea. It's, it's, it's going to be humiliating when this monstrosity of a book comes out. No one's going to buy it. No one's going to be interested. Everyone's going to hate it. This weird Schrodinger's cat approach of everyone's going to hate it. No one's going to buy it. <laughs> um, those two things can't they, those two things are mutually exclusive yeah. I mean if everyone hates it amazing if everyone's bought it that's fine um, yeah, as long as they bought it who cares if they hate yeah. it you've oh, got that money yeah. turns out I'm a sellout yeah um, that's okay quite happy to, to, um, to let that sell I mean it, it turned out very well and I think everyone who's read it has really liked it from from everyone who I've spoken to or seen all the reviews for it's been uh, extremely well received so yeah how does, um, how does yeah. that feel it's been Gratifying on the whole. Put it mildly, yeah. Yeah. You said like earlier on that you, you had that dream to be like a gag cartoonist. Mm. 
And this, you know, Flegg's a funny book. Did it scratch the itch of wanting, always wanting to be a gag cartoonist? Do you think that now you've achieved that life goal? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I think of gag cartooning as being either single panel or three or four panel strips or, yeah. And I guess there are bits and pieces in Flake like that, but I suppose it turned out that the way I write isn't suited to single panel gags. Hmm. So I, I think I find it easier to tell a joke over a page rather than in one panel. I, mean, I, th- I think I think some of the jokes, some of the parts of the book I enjoyed the most were the kind of almost the long running jokes or I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's listening who's not read it. But there's one particular joke that kind of comes towards the end of something that's contained within a freezer that has made me laugh out loud very, very much. Because uh, oh, <laughs> uh, it's one of those things of, it's a, a reference back to a, a previously mentioned gag that almost like you wouldn't ever consider again because the gag on its own that sat earlier on in the book was very funny. But then the fact that it comes back again at the end made it all the funnier. Well, that's the thing. I th- with writing funny comics, or at least, you know, attempts to be funny comics, and I guess this goes, this is also true of something which is meant to be dramatic. It's very different to writing prose in that when you turn a page of text, that doesn't reveal anything other than the fact that there is more text. Whereas with obviously writing a comic, you read it twice, don't you? You read it that first time, you read both pages at once as a single entity. And that you can, from that, you can tell if a big visual gag is coming. Mm. And then you read it from top left-hand corner down to the bottom right-hand corner. So, you you know, when you're thinking of visual jokes, you're mindful of that thing of, of the turning over for yeah. the punchline and the punchline coming at certain points. I think, I think that that punchline was like the first panel on the next yeah. page. So, yeah, you, you, you immediately get it. And that's, that's deliberate. You know, that's... I mean, it's, it just shows one of the many ways why comics are much superior to novels. They're just, they're, yeah, they're, they've got, like, lots of things which you can't do in... In novels that you can do in comics, and you know, vice versa. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I kid. I like books too. I know was yeah. pretty good, but I always, I always appreciate comics that do things that can only be done in comics all the more, or ones that really kind of make full use of the medium. They're not just using it as a way to, to visualize the things that are happening in the in the words, if that makes sense. That's probably a yeah. terrible way of putting that. But like the ones that actually they make use of the fact that there's the page layouts play into it, or the even the t- uh, turning of the page has. You can just do things in the, in comics that you can't do in other mediums. And the same goes for like in film or there's probably other artistic mediums about storytelling that I can't think of right now. Plays. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. And, you, you know, comics are very diagrammatical, aren't they? So there are lots of interesting things you can do with a page. Not necessarily that I do that especially, but I think there's lots and lots of room for doing interesting visual stuff hmm. in a way that... I don't think any other medium really can do. And it's like, it's, it's, every medium has its, its limitations and that's what makes that medium interesting. Yeah, that, that, it's, it's the limitations which make you work in a certain way. And I was uh, the incredibly pretentious example of uh, the limitations of mediums. The, uh, I remember reading this, talking about like the, the progression of, of jazz in the first half of the, 20th century when we arrive in the, the late 50s early 60s everything's been done so all we're left with is, is free jazz which is there are no rules mm-hmm. so you just play what you like at any at any speed any tempo any note there's no key and that means you can do anything 
but it means everything ends up sounding exactly the same as it's just this sort of chaotic wall of noise yeah. stuff. I think, yeah, limitations is what you need, I think. And comics has plenty of them. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So once, so I can say, can we also talk a little bit about once Flake had been released, what was the process that kind of followed? Apart from obviously the, the praise and the, oh. the accolades, how have you found that process of just kind of sitting and watching that all, all happen? Well, it's been a rather peculiar experience, bearing in mind that Flake came out on the 2nd of April. Now, I assume when this podcast becomes available, the, um, the ongoing worldwide health crisis will still... I mean, I'm pretty sure we might have entirely eradicated yeah. it yesterday. Yeah. So it didn't... I don't, think my, I don't think my experience is typical of the past. Maybe it's going to be typical for the foreseeable future. Hmm. And that meant that... And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be moany about it because I'm not in, I've not had any real great hardship compared to lots of the people through this. So I wouldn't want to suggest otherwise, but I was quite sad that wasn't a launch party. <laughs> yeah, I was sad. The sort of nice things that go along with, I think, releasing a book didn't all happen. Mm. But that is, that is a very, very small tragedy. And I, I would, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to moan about it, but so in terms of like other things, I mean, I did some, I did a bit of press for it. I did an interview, did an interview with The Observer and some stuff for the Scottish Herald. And yeah, as you say, reviews have popped up in various places and the publisher will send me a copy of every review, pretty much. It appears in the press anyway. Yeah. Um, not, not just the, the deep, dark recesses of the internet. So that's yeah. I I will I I will see that sort of thing, and I mean I have been known from time to time to pop pop my pop my name in the book into Google. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm human, but I I think in in a way that way madness lies. Yeah, to be constantly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've I've already talked about it a few times on this podcast about different people with the same name as me i think i mentioned that there's a guy on twitter who's got a very similar username his one's joe underscore stone underscore and there's a guy on instagram who's a dj and i have to get tagged in his things but whenever i, I google myself then the thing that comes up is joe's stone crab cafe uh which is a restaurant like a very successful restaurant chain in america where they serve stone crabs and the guy's called Joe. And so that, no matter, even if I've released something and I'm really excited about it, it's going to, it's going to see if I've got some press or anything, anything out there. Um, no, what I mostly find out about is, uh, is the crab restaurant menu, the specials for that day. Do you think you'd go? Are you tempted once, uh, once restrictions are lifted? Do you like, do you like seafood? I'm not, I, don't, I, I don't dislike seafood. I mean, I, I, I think, I think they only exist in America, unfortunately. So it'd be quite a, It'd be quite a long journey just to have some stone crabs at a restaurant that has a similar name to mine, I mean, but it if would be they, quite fun. If they offered you a dinner on the house, then yeah, I'd do. We're in the same I'd, I'd fly to America just to get some free crabs. Absolutely. It's a story. It's a comic. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> a comic. Well, idea. That's my next book, everybody. Joe Stone's Joe's Stone Crab Adventure, I believe. It's a million dollar idea. It's a million dollar idea. I don't. No, so yeah, I mean, I've been, yeah, sort of keeping an eye on how it's been received. But it's, it's funny, really. So many books are released. Like so, many, so much stuff comes out that, you know, you pour a lot of time and effort into something, it comes out, and it's just like a little, it's like a little blip. 
Hmm. It's barely a blip. It's quite a big blip, surely. It's a bit big for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm right next to it. It's like I say, it's been extremely well received. It's been, uh, yeah. been really kind of across the board. Everyone seems to have liked it, and it generally seems to have made some sort of a, an impact on the on the, the wider comic scene. Well, I guess and book scene. The comics, the UK comics scene, is not not a big one. Hmm. Um, or certainly the. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I, I feel a little bit detached from it in a in a way. I mean, I. I don't read as many comics as I used to, certainly. And I think there are the UK comic scene, you might disagree with me, but I think it feels quite siloed into different bits. So you have your sort of stuff like we do, the sort of the small press indie stuff. Yeah. But then there's other types of indie stuff, isn't there? That you get like the superhero indie stuff, and then you get the, you know, the big label superhero stuff and yeah. sort of genre fiction and they all feel a little separate to me in a sense so I'm not sure someone who reads lots of manga particularly is going to find their way to flake yeah I assume I mean it, it just yeah it doesn't feel like a natural well, I think I think you're definitely right in terms of the siloing especially when it comes to like to comic fairs and things like that. I guess you get things like Thought Bubble being the best example of that's like a, a melting pot of every sort of different genre and style of comics under the sun that all kind of in one place where you do get the, the superhero stuff and the manga stuff and the horror stuff next to the autobiographical stuff and the uh, other sorts of things. But obviously that's only once a year and it's unfortunately not happening this year as well. So. Yeah, oh, it's very sad. It's very sad. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't have the table, but yeah. Still, it's a nice, it's a nice time. Um, It's a nice time for everybody. But I think that, yeah, for the most part, apart from those really big ones, you do tend to get like the, the genre fiction kind of comic fair or the the indie auto bio sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Across those streams, I think. Like, yeah. What was it called? Um, The name's escaping now. It was like a, the DI, was it DIY? Something or um, uh, there's there's the DIY art fairs. I, I can't and, and the DIY space for London did a little zine fair thing in Peckham. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking. I, it was a few years ago. I remember going on, and it, it, it's yeah, it's just that that sense that nobody here would be at MCM. Yeah, these two worlds are completely separate in in a way. But yeah, and it, it, I don't know. Graphic novels, I guess, is something again a little bit different. The sort of the sort of thing Flake would be, which is like a, I don't know, I don't, I don't know where it, where it would live. Respectable middle class coffee tables. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it is in my house. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I say, I think it's there is definitely some truth to the the comic scene is sort of dried up, maybe into kind of subsections. I mean, there are definitely a few events as well. The Hackney Comic and Zine Fair, if you recall, which if, if I believe was your your first ever experience tabling at a comic fair. It um, was, yes. Um, I feel like I've cheated a little bit the in the not really doing comics fairs. And I okay. regret it as well, because I think... Um, you were at Catford uh, last year as yeah, well. Catford yeah, so they have, they have been my, my two experiences of tabling at a comic fair was <laughs> the wonderful... The first of well, the first two of many, yeah. uh, but the Hackney Comic Fair, which if anyone isn't aware, I organised. Then that was one thing I was really keen to make sure that I actually I did kind of have a, different people from different sort of yeah. comic backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, I also tried really hard to try to advertise it to not the standard comics crowd. 
I, mm-hmm. in, in terms of all the marketing materials, things for it, I, I paid a lot of attention to what other people, like like the MCMs of the world, people like that, what they were doing. And also the opposite end of the spectrum, the kind of the, the, the fine art sort of comic fair things. I tried to find somewhere that was slap bang in the middle of those two things that felt approachable and fun, but also not too fun that if you wanted to buy like a nice print uh <laughs> you couldn't and I, I, I tried to mix those those ones up but this isn't about me so well, but this is an interesting question i think in that it seems i would say apparent to you and i and to many people who are involved in one way or another in the sort of indie comics scene in this in the uk there, there are loads of great comics made loads of interesting unusual weird um, brilliant creators making all sorts of different types of stuff, which you read and think, oh, why isn't why doesn't everyone read this? Why is no one like this? This is this is this isn't great for a comic. This is great, mm-hmm. yeah. and it it seems like it's been at this point for a long time where it's just very difficult to break out of that of that. I guess because I mean we're, we're talking certainly in my experience anyway, of small press, I mean, you're talking pretty small numbers, really, of actually how many people will get a print copy of something in their hand. It's in, it's in the, yeah. I mean, I think of all the comics, if I added up everything I've ever sold over the three or so years that I've been tabling affairs, basically, it's in the hundreds, but definitely not beyond that. And you would think, you would think there are definitely more than how many people that is. Yeah. And so there's, I mean, I don't know the answer. I'm I'm not a natural organizer like like yourself, Joe. But there must be a, I, there must be this way of of it, of it breaking out somehow. But um, I mean, I think I think that part of it, and not to throw any shade at the Jonathan Cape Observer Prize, <laughs> but that there's part of that kind of they don't want to admit that it's comics, basically. If I remember, like a lot of the wording is that they don't use the word comics at any point in it. It's always short graphic fiction and things like that. And I think that that is things like that that do kind of create a negative stigma of when there's a comic fair, then that is seen as comics being a silly thing. When it's a, a graphic piece of fiction, then that's seen as like a serious established thing. I mean, I, I personally have a, I don't really like the term graphic novel. Um, I think it's a made up word that was made up to try to sell or try to market comic books to yeah. a wider audience, which is fine. And I think it's, it's good to be able to obviously reach that wider audience. But I think it's somewhat disingenuous. And I distinctly remember talking to someone who I used to work with and finding out that they were into comics as well, or I thought they were into comics. Because I mentioned a comic artist and they said, oh yeah, I'm a big, big fan of his work. And I said, oh, you're into comics? And they went, no, I like graphic novels. <laughs> as if like the idea of liking comics was disgusting. Yeah, um, and I think that that's that's kind of part of the part of the problem of why it, it's hard to get into a more public audience because there is there is still like a stigma. The comics are often seen as a genre rather than a medium as well. So yeah. when you get a comic book movie, people think of a superhero movie, think of the Avengers. Oh yeah, hundred uh, percent. Um, I mean, personally, I tend to use, I would tend to refer to comics as comics. That's mm. my my natural inclination, and sort of use graphic novel when I'm talking to my parents' friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry. I mean, it's a term, I, I still use it to describe, and I think you know, now it has kind of become an accepted term to describe a sort of a single long book that's a graphic novel. Whereas in the past, obviously, it's, it was kind of, or quite often, it's, it's a collection of six single issues of a comic book that have then been collected together, and then they call it a graphic novel. But they, they call... They, people call mouse a graphic novel. It's like it's a 
it's not a piece of fiction. Like, mm. if you're going to read the life of Charles de Gaulle, which is just in you know in prose, that's not that's not a it's not a novel in any sense. Yeah. It, it's such a it's a weird thing. It's like it's a piece of nonfiction. It's a it's a biography. Yeah. I mean, you do see graphic memoir used a bit more now, but you'd still it's that odd thing that you would have I don't know Arsene Bechtel put in with Watchmen, and those two things have nothing to do with each other. That's the fact that they're drawn. Do I think there will be a point at which you would look through the political biographies and you'll you'll find a, a lovely graphic uh, biography of the third Marquess of Salisbury? Um, <laughs> I certainly hope so. Fingers crossed. Because that's my next project. I'm going to do a 1,200-page <laughs> life of the third Marquess of Salisbury. Can't um, wait. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a, uh, an absolute smash hit. Um, but yeah. Half right. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm excited. I can I can tell tell you, Arjo. He's a fascinating, fascinating man. The world has been calling out for this for a long time, but I I know I, I don't know if that's a, will ever be a thing. But I mean, I think it. I think at some point it will be. I, I think that's a, that's a, again another really good example of comics as a medium not being given their their due. In that, in a bookshop, you get the history section and the the art section and the design section, and then the comic book section. So like everything else is a kind of a genre or having a particular topic and then comic books, which can be tackling a million different topics are still put together in a, all, all in the same shelves. I think it would make so much more sense if it, if mouse was in the history section, for yes. example, because yeah. that's where it belongs, frankly. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and maybe some more discerning bookselling establishments will start, start to do that. Maybe they, maybe. that starts right now. Let's, let's, you're an organizer. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe I go to Waterstones. And I'll start moving around all the books. Yeah, that'll show them. Yeah. Start movement. <laughs> cool. Um, is there anything else? Have you got any other, any other like, distinct learnings from uh, releasing a graphic novel that you think would be useful to impart onto those who would like to release a graphic novel? Um, don't start... If you've never drawn anything before, don't set out with the intention of making a graphic novel because that's mad. Make small comics first. I, mean, that, that, I think that would be the... The main thing, I it, part of me thinks I did it too quickly in in some respects. I think another hundred pages of other comics I'd done first, I would have been a better place to do it. Um, mm. As it, yeah. So uh, that would be certainly something I would recommend. There's, it, it's it's such a stupid thing to do in some ways, because it takes up so so much time, and you're never going to finish it if that's the first thing you try. Yeah, so you set yourself. I agree, I agree with that. Manageable, manageable goals. In fact, the way I wrote Flake, I broke it down into chapters, and part of that was for um, was for the reader because I I quite like that. If I'm reading a comic, uh, a longer comic, I like having it's having chapters. That they have their sort of a character. Um, they have their own character each chapter, or it's just a natural place to stop reading if you don't want to carry on for the for the moment. If you want to put it down. And so that was really helpful to almost break it down into making, I was it nine or ten smaller comics, rather than thinking, "Oh Christ, I've got another hundred and sixty yeah. pages to go." No, I've not. I've got another twenty pages to go, which seems seems far more manageable. So that's certainly how I did it, and I would do it again like that. Because yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. I think. I imagine everyone does it slightly differently in like the terms of the process. I mean, certainly the way I did it is that I tend to 
I said, I do my walking. I do my walking. And my walking is I'm looking for sense of place, tone, a few jokes. And then once that's happened, I know I, it, I started writing, I guess we'd call it a script. But whilst I'm writing it, I'm in mind thinking what this look, what's this going to look like? So it's not, it's not like it's, it's those two things, the, the, the visuals and the, and the words are never separate in the process of, of writing. Even when you're just writing like a, a script, it's still very much, I'm thinking about the visuals the whole time. And then when it comes to, so what, once I finished the script, I then started roughing it, roughing it out. And that was a, having gone through the script already a few times, that again was another time to edit and to, to change stuff. And that was really useful. So you're going through and think, actually, no, that doesn't work. Or maybe swap this around. Oh, that actually makes more sense now once you've got it out in front of you. And then when it came to the actual drawing, again, another chance to edit in a funny way, thinking, I might take that crowd scene out. Um, <laughs> that happened more than once. <laughs> that's, that's a good uh, idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, no, no, he's in an empty pub. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's the thing. But no, yeah, and when you go through that again, it's again, it's another chance to, so you're always, I think, you're sort of always working on it, even though the drawing, for the most part, is quite a mechanical process. It's like, okay, I've got this to do, and I've got this long to do it in. Even then, I think the creative part of that is actually thinking, how am I going to change this? How am I going to make this better? Oh, this, these work, this, actually, now I come to it on the page, this uh, speech bubble, I can edit it down. It's always a process of actually getting rid of words, I find. Yeah. Like that, that's the thing. I mean, the fewer words, the better for a comic, I think. Um, certainly in the style I do, yeah. there are lots of dead panels, which I quite like just as a pacing thing. Absolutely, um, yeah. Well, so it's, yeah, being as pithy as possible. If you can get rid of words, get rid of words. And if you can do it without any words, even better. Having said that, that's just my taste, but that's how I do it. And it's just also a sad fact. And just don't get don't get caught up knowing that you might spend eight hours on a page, and someone will spend thirty seconds looking <laughs> at it. I mean, I was thinking of that like making making a meal. Yeah, the amount of time that you spend to cook like a really really nice impressive meal for like your friends or your family or whatever. Yeah. And all you're going out and buying all the ingredients and then chopping everything up and cooking it and timing everything perfectly. And they're going to eat it in like a few minutes flat, especially my family where everyone's very hungry all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's a, a really, a really good analogy, I think. And that's why I think actually... You really enjoy it though, right? That's the important well, thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's the point. You don't... I mean, I, I would not want anybody to spend two and a half years reading flight. <laughs> No, that wouldn't be a... No, that would be awful. I mean, that's that would be a truly harrowing experience, um, I would think. But I think that's just yeah, one of those things. And that's actually why that it's, it's, when I tend to read a comic, I tend to fly through it, actually. Hmm. I'll, I'll read it very quickly first, and then I'll go back and I'll, I'll read it again. And the second time I read it, it tends to be a bit more pleasurable, actually. And you tend to linger on the panels a little bit more and you'll notice little little easter eggs or little little jokes that have been put in there so i also think that's something i would be mindful of when you're making a book that even though people might not 
notice stuff. It's always worth putting a little bit extra in here and there. Yeah, absolutely. Because you never know. It, it, it's that's part that's part of the fun putting in little hidden jokes, whether it be you know like uh, posters in the background with. Things to, to mention your observer Jonathan Cape winning. That's <laughs> it. I mean, I noticed that one. I mean, there is there is a reference to a comic I did about a society called the Intergalactic Alliance of Peace and Unity, which are um, an end of the world cult. Hmm. And that we can miss that reference. Though. Well, exactly. I mean, if you've never read the book, if you've never read that four page comic I did <laughs> five years ago, <laughs> then you're not you, you're not going to notice that because it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty obtuse. But I do like the idea that when you're making this sort of thing, that if you are going to make stuff about it in the future, that it lives in a world. And it's a world which sort of interacts mm. with other bits of, of that world. And um, yeah, so I, I'm hoping there are a couple of little things in Flake that if I do another one, there would be some callbacks to some stuff. But uh, that remains to be seen. Um, it's going to be quite hard to fit the references to Flake into the one about the, the Marcus of Salisbury there, I think. That's a, that is a good point. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll put the Marcus of Salisbury on ice. Uh, for the time. Unintended? No, no. Um, that's going to be um, that's for my dotage. So for okay. my time, yeah. the, uh, that'll come some 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 point down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. If people want to find out more about you or your work, have you got a website or some social media details? Or where can they get a hold of a copy of Flake? They can buy Flake from all good bookstores and some less disreputable ones like Amazon as well. So if I was going to buy Flake. I don't have to because I already have copies, obviously. But if I was going to, I would buy it from a place like Gosh, OK Comics, Page 45, or even a place like Foils. They're they're all stocking it. Um, And Foils and OK Comics have book plates as well. And some signed ones in Gosh as well. So, uh, yeah, that's they're all good, reputable booksellers. In terms of social media... My Twitter is mdDraws. I think my Instagram. That's a. I haven't got a clue what my Instagram is. I think, oh. it, might be, I think it might be Matthew Dooley Draws, but it might. It might not be. That's I can't a, remember. Yeah. I can look it up quickly. It's all on MD, MD Draws. Find me on Twitter. It's fine. It's all there. Yeah, you're on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not much of a social media person. I'll be honest. Um, yeah, that's fair enough. I tend um, to awful cesspit. Um, I mean, for the most part, yeah. Yeah. But it, it, important to dip your toe into a cesspit every once in a while, I think, just to make sure that you still are aware of the cesspit. Yes, uh, yeah, indeed, indeed. You've got to keep putting there sometimes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Pleasure. Thank you to Matthew for joining me. If you want to find out more about WIP, then head to meetup.com slash whipcomics, which has all the information you need on the group and our monthly meetups. You can also give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at whip underscore comics. And you can follow me at joe underscore stone on Twitter and just joe stone on Instagram. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please do subscribe and give it a like. That really helps us out. And feel free to get in touch with any comments, questions or suggestions. Thank you for listening.